0: Hey,
1: once again, welcome to the show, and let's prepare to revel in wrong think. By the way, I, my, I strive for a day when, when that phrase is something that is actually embraced as much as I'm proud to be an American, I'm equally proud to revel in wrong think. And just given the direction I see some things going, I think that to being a wrong thinker should be a badge of, of, of honor. I am pleased to welcome Emma Michelle. She is a spokesperson for Young Americans for Liberty. Emma, I appreciate you joining me today. How does life find you on this Monday?
2: Life's finding me pretty good. I'm, uh, I'm down here in a pretty free state of Tennessee, finally. I got out of Washington, D.C., safely, and right before the election, too. So life are, life is good. <laughs> things are looking up.
1: <laughs> um, you know, and, and you and I have some election-related things to talk about, and, and I'm very grateful that to, I, I'm happy to tell my listeners we actually have some good news to discuss. There's been a lot of uh, back and forth on the election. There's still a lot of question marks hanging over people's heads, but there is something that Young Americans for Liberty has been involved in, And I'd love to have you explain to our audience not only what you guys have been up to, but uh, let's toot your horn about some of the successes seen in last week's election. Where Where do you want to begin?
2: Well, I'll start with a quick overview of how we get involved in these elections. We have something called Operation Win at the Door. We launched this two years ago because we had thousands of students across the country that are rapidly uh passionate about liberty. They love these ideas and they wanted more. They wanted more of a way to get involved and get plugged in. And we said, all right, well, we're not just gonna have you guys sit on campus and talk about stuff. We're gonna have you get involved and make a difference. And so that's how we launched this operation Win at the Door. Um essentially what we do is we get our, our top best and brightest students across the country. We give them paid jobs. It's a month long deployment on a campaign for a principled, solid liberty candidate running for state representative and occasionally state senate. And our goal here is, on, on one hand, to build up a bench of legislators who are going to preserve our liberties on the state level. That's something that we've seen in the last year as extremely important. These people have a huge impact in our lives and our day-to-day freedoms, how our states are run, how we're taxed and regulated, all of that. But also what we want to do is establish uh, a talent roster of folks who are going to be able to rise up through the ranks when these seats open on the congressional level. and, And we look around and say, who's ready to go here? Who's going to be like a Thomas Massey, a Rand Paul, Liberty figure and take that ideology all the way to D.C. and actually do something with it rather than just playing into party control? So there's sort of two approaches that we have there, and our goal is by the end of 2022, to get 250 liberty legislators elected to office across the country that's 5% of the legislature in America and that's our starting goal and as of today we are uh, we are well on our way we have 119 wins in this last year in 2020 um and our total wins are 175 since we started doing this so we're well on track uh we had 153 candidates on the ballot this last election day and uh, they were quite successful. Things are looking very good there. And we're just so excited to see that, you know, regardless of what's going on on the national scale, people care about liberty and people are electing liberty legislators on their state level.
1: Sincerely, congratulations. This makes Thank me you. happy because I know I know most of the attention's focused on, oh, the White House, the White House. This is the race we have mm-hmm. to watch. But the fact is, with principled people in Congress, it doesn't make as big of a difference who's in the White House, right? They're holding the purse strings. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can be a bulwark against any official mischief at that highest level. Talk to me about the, the vetting process, because I, I, I believe I interviewed Cliff Maloney on this a few months ago, and mm-hmm. it seems that he was explaining that Operation Win at the door in looking for these candidates. You don't just take anybody who can fog a mirror. Tell me about what it takes for someone to be considered a serious candidate deserving of this organization's backing.
2: Yeah, I mean it's a pretty it's a pretty long process. It's not easy to get a YAL endorsement. Uh, we have lots of folks come knocking on our door when it's election time, and they want the student army behind them and they want our backing and our funding. Uh, but at the end of the day, we are only going to endorse people who are very pro-liberty. They are pro-small government. They want to have less bureaucrat control of our lives and not more. And you know, we we get involved in primaries, which is something that a lot of folks don't like. The party doesn't like it when you start going after their guys, but At the end of the day, we want people who are going to stand up to big government, regardless of which party it's coming from. So that's a big part of it. We look for folks that are going to be principled, that aren't doing it just to, uh, you know, stroke their own ego, but who actually care about their communities and want to make a difference. Uh, we ask them about things like, um, you know, are you going to raise taxes on your citizens? Can you, can you promise that if constitutional carry comes across your desk, you will vote yes on it? And, and hard questions like that that really ultimately are measured up against the Constitution and the basic idea in this country that individuals should have more uh, control over their own lives than the government should.
1: I love it. No, I, I mean, some of the names that you mentioned, uh, Thomas Massey, uh, Rand Paul in particular, uh, you know, people ask, well, where are the good people? Where are the ones we can count on? Those are probably the first two names that would have come to mind for me as well. Talk to me about some of the ones who uh, who can be counted as winners this time around, what are some of the names that we need to be paying attention to and, and become familiar with? And if necessary, lend our support, you know, to, to help them Absolutely. accomplish what they need to.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I would say, first of all, Tony LaVosco, he's one of our legislators. Uh, Stuart Jones is one in South Carolina. He was one of our first guys that we ever got involved with. He's, he was our third race. Uh, but my favorite would be Savannah Maddox in Kentucky. And the reason why I love her story so much She is the second endorsement that we ever had for YAL's operation win at the door. She's a mom. She operates in her community. She's a business owner. She knows her area. And she ran for office. We had a bunch of students come in and knock doors for her. And within her first year in office, she not only passed a campus free speech bill saying that campuses in Kentucky would be, there would be no free speech zones or, or First Amendment restrictions. She also passed constitutional carry in her state and forced a vote on it even though the Republican establishment didn't want to talk about that issue, which is ironic because, you know, the Republicans are supposed to be all riled up about the Second Amendment and and all about the Constitution. But you'd be shocked what some of these, you know, big, big establishment party folks uh, would would be willing to do in that regard. So she, in her first year, forced a vote on both of those issues, got them passed. And now she is making a name for herself in the Kentucky legislature as – just this maverick who really cares about our liberties and cares about the constitution and does not care about what the party's trying to tell her to do. And as you can imagine, that's, that doesn't always make you friends, but she has won the support of her constituents and, and has just done a fantastic job. And something that I could see happening down the road is, you know, as things change within Congress and change within the the United States Congress and Senate, that is, um, you know, there could be a seat that opens up and I would hope to see someone like her ascend and take that seat and be successful because for one, she's proven that she can pass buster and that she really believes in the things she said she believes, but also she's a well-known name in her community and the people in her area already know who she is. They respect her. They like her. So that's the kind of thing that we want to replicate across the country. But Savannah Maddox is one of my favorites. I love that she's a strong uh, constitution believing woman and has just done amazing things for her community.
1: OK, again, we're talking with Emma Michelle. She is with the Young Americans for Liberty. And uh, tell me a little bit about the training process for all these young people that you sent out to knock on doors. Uh, how many people did you send out? What kind of uh, what kind of training does it take to go out and knock doors prior to an election?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not an easy job. I'll say I went down uh, through, I think, five different states on election week and talked to these uh, these young folks who are on the ground knocking doors. And it is not an easy job. It's grueling work. They're out in the cold, they're out in the elements. Um, so we talk to them about, hey, how do you have a conversation with the voter at the door? How do you talk to someone in a way that's persuasive but respectful? And that is you know encouraging and, and brings hope rather than causing division. Um, That's a big thing that we we talk a lot about with these people. And we were actually supposed to have a big training conference for a thousand students that were going to be deployed um, this fall in in this election cycle. And the city of Dallas shut our conference down right before it was going to start. So that's a story for another day. But um, I remember that. Yes. Yeah. That we made quite a stink about that. That was that was not a very good week. But, you know, it got our I got our students very galvanized and excited about liberty and it helps show why our message is so important. But yeah, we get these students. We find the top talent. We talk to them about how do you have an effective conversation at the door, and we send them out with with uh, gift cards for gas. We give them an Airbnb house to live in for a month, and we give them a monthly stipend. Um, and and we we pay them because we want to be able to demand a, a high level of of work ethic and of results from them and i think that's really important that's a free market thing there uh you get what you pay for so that's that's sort of how the process works but when you go talk to these students on the ground it's just incredible the stories that they have and the different backgrounds that they have and you ask them why they care about liberty and it's just the most beautiful thing to see these people from all different backgrounds and you know i'll tell you the the left loves to paint anyone who is maybe right-leaning or conservative or libertarian, is all just these, you know, these white males and, and whatever. I can tell you this is a diverse group of students from all walks of life, and it's just beautiful to see how they have these different backgrounds, they come together, and they believe in liberty. It's awesome.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. We are talking today with Emma Michelle. She is a spokesperson for Young Americans for Liberty. And we're talking about something good, something successful the silver lining of last week's election, which otherwise has been kind of dragging on and hanging over our heads like, like a giant sword of Damocles. No, there's some good news. And Emma, you were telling us about uh, about going, to, to going door to door, the op- operation went at the door. Tell me about the feedback you got from those who participated in this effort. Uh, what was their experience like? It seemed like a particularly... Um, Tense election from a lot of standpoints, but what did they see as they were out there on the ground, knocking doors at the local level and supporting um, state and and congressional candidates, for instance, that uh, that really toe the line for liberty?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the students had a really encouraging experience in a lot of places because I think they're talking to these voters who have been sold these really divisive messages um and there's a lot of what we call voter fatigue around election time especially in such a you know divisive crazy election year and and cycle and when they see a young person show up at their door and talk to them about a candidate that's not you know going to be living in washington dc but that's actually concerned with their own state and it's someone who lives in their own community that's really powerful and we heard a lot of feedback from the field where students were saying Yeah, I talked to this voter and they were shocked that I wasn't there for Biden because I'm a young person. And I think that really shows us that there's some optimism and there's some hope. And I hope that we're able to reach the voters with that optimism because, you know, right now is not a particularly fun time. But when we when we start engaging on these issues that really matter to people on a state level and talk about things like liberty or like the economy or jobs or opening businesses again, uh, that's something that really resonates with people. And that's something that we saw even in this election. You know, there's there's the presidential race and that's sucking all the air out of the room. It's getting all the media attention. But you know what we found is that Americans are not ready for big government controls. They don't want to be taxed more. They don't want economic shutdowns. They want people who are going to fight those things. And our candidates that were running on that platform were wildly successful. We have 119 confirmed wins. Uh, We're still waiting on results for a few more out of 150 candidates that we ran. So that, that shows us that, hey, you know what? Things may look pretty dark right now for Liberty, but Americans are not willing to just sit back and let it happen and that right there is what gives me some optimism
1: I'm grateful to hear that too because uh there there have been times where my optimism has waned (laughs) over the course of this election cycle talk to me about Young Americans for Liberty uh, a little bit more about the organization um again I I know I've I've had a conversation within the last few months with uh, Cliff Maloney but for those who are hearing about this for the first time what is YAL how how can they get involved? Who who specifically should be involved?
2: Yeah, I mean first and foremost, we love getting students involved and young people across the country. We've got thousands of chapters or thousands of students, rather, that are fighting for these ideas. And if you feel alone in your beliefs and you feel like there aren't other people that think like you, I can guarantee you there are. There are thousands of us and we're working hard to preserve these ideals and preserve the Constitution. Um, So if you're a student, go to YALIberty.org and see if there's a chapter near you. If not, you can start one. We'll help you out. Um, and if you're in a place where, you know, maybe you're interested in these ideas, but you're not totally sure what you think, you can go to our website and check out some of our resources and see what we believe and, and why we do what we do. Um, and if you're in a place where you can throw us a couple bucks because you believe in what we're doing and you want to be a part of it financially, we will always appreciate that. And we'll always put that to work and maximum impact. So that's that's something you can do. You can contribute to what we're doing financially. But there's a place for everyone to get involved in what we're doing because, you know, liberty is something that benefits everybody, and there's there's a part in this movement for everyone.
1: Having spent some time working in the nonprofit sector, um, I just I want to echo what you're saying, Emma, uh, and that is a lot of people have pounded a lot of money into uh, you know political parties and 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 political um, causes, but I don't know that they'll get more bang for their buck than they will through the kind of things that, that you're involved in, specifically Young Americans for Liberty. I think it's it's an incredible. Opportunity for for folks who who really want to want to convert some of their uh, their material wealth into purpose and and this is something that I know you do personally. You work in the development side as well as uh, helping get the word out, to, you know, about Liberty.
2: Yes, thank you for uh, thank you for the kind words and it definitely you know every dollar goes a long way. That's one more door knocked. It's one more volunteer fed a little bite of pizza so they can keep going and. We, we really do try to be good stewards of what we have. And we're so grateful for the support of folks um, who, who are willing to partner with us in that way. But again, Brian, these, these young people, these students we have knocking doors, they give me hope that this country is not going to be a socialist country. They give me hope that we're going to reject big government controls and tyranny. And I am so optimistic about our future. It's a crazy time politically, but I have hope that things are going to get better and they're going to look up because people are waking up right now.
1: It's encouraging, too, to see the approach that doesn't put all of the eggs in one basket. In other words, we're not looking towards, well, if we can just get somebody at the very top of the pyramid, you know, everything else is supposed to trickle down. It never works that way. You know, no matter mm-hmm. who we put at the, at the top of the, the chain, um, it seems like there, there are still a lot of other areas that, that need that help. But when you start to see grassroots, and I mean real grassroots, like you're talking about, physically knocking on people's doors, that kind of effort, putting people into office, that power gets dispersed. And uh, the um, I don't know if reform is the right word, but the, the right kind of influencing seems to happen at the right levels. And it's spread out much more broadly than if we're counting on that one person to make it happen for mm-hmm. us.
2: Absolutely. I think if people were to care more about what's going on in their states and in their local communities, we would have a country that cares a lot more about liberty because everyone wants, uh, you know, some presidential candidate or even a Senate or congressional candidate to come in and save them. They're not going to be able to do that, even if they're the best president or the best senator in the world. You know, they're they're legislating and ruling on the federal level. And we need people on the local and state level that care about those same issues. And again, I'm not trying to say it's it's not important who our president is. I think that's very crucial to preserving our liberties and the president has a lot of power to destroy those liberties. But I think if we can just really focus on who our people are, look up who your state rep is, like how many people listening know who their state representative is. I would challenge us to learn those things and get more involved in those things and be a part of the process of choosing who gets to, uh, Make the laws in our communities and in our states.
1: We've got about two minutes before we're done here. Um, Emma, talk to me about the the wisdom in approaching legislators as opposed to simply trying to elect executives. Um, what is the what is the thought behind uh, making legislators, mm-hmm. you know, a forefront of this effort?
2: I mean, if we're really sticking to the Constitution and sort of the way that our republic was set up. The legislators should be a lot more powerful than the executives, and they should have a lot more control over uh, what sorts of laws we're seeing passed or the regulations that we have on businesses and industries. Um, And unfortunately, now they are sort of the last line of holding executive power accountable. So, um, you know, you look at states where these governors have just completely locked things down. A lot of these issues are going to end up in in a legislative session in the, uh, the upcoming year. And those people that are making those decisions are very important, and they're now very powerful for everyday kitchen table issues in our states, like whether small businesses can remain open and which sorts of businesses are essential and mask mandates and all of these issues that have become so topical. Um, And I think if we ignore the legislative uh, portion of our, our republic and our democracy, we're going to lose out on a lot of opportunities to make our voices heard.
1: No, that's and this is something we just got in spades in my home state of Utah last night. Uh, We got a major emergency declaration, a big mask mandate and a whole bunch of other mandates crammed down our throats. And there are a lot of people right now who are um, fighting mad and wondering what to do. And anyway, we're down to, to less than a minute here, but I'm sure the answer is don't give up. You know, you keep fighting the good fight, but you do it smart. How can they get more information on Young Americans for Liberty? What was the website again?
2: Yes. Our website is yaliberty.org. Please check us out. There's a way for everyone to get involved there. Uh, We're fighting for the principles of freedom and liberty and a constitutional republic, and we're excited about it. And there's a lot of young folks that are just as excited. So we're optimistic about how things are looking.
1: Emma, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I do appreciate all your efforts.
2: Thank you, Brian.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
1: Hey, welcome back to the show. All right, lines are open, 801-331-8113. I'm just giving that number in case you have something on your mind you'd like to get off your chest. Okay, fine. I'll start. Actually, I'm going to start by sharing a quick comment here from my friend Connor Boyack. Yes, I got the, I got the emergency notification last night. Actually, I have mine shut off on my phone just because I, I was tired of receiving Amber alerts for, you know, parents, custodial parents who may be late dropping their children off. I wonder sometimes if, if that system isn't becoming the little boy who cried wolf. Well, I got my answer last night because it was the little governor who cried COVID. And, uh, you know, my wife's phone went off and it sounded like such an emergency. And oh, my gosh, we got to get the kids all ready to to sit down. We're going to watch and see what the governor has to say. And I just uh, said, you know, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I'm seriously just going to I'm going to go to bed and, and call it a day. I have no desire to hear what the governor has to say. So I had to read about it this morning. And it's as bad as, as what I had feared. Uh, the governor has put out this statewide mask mandate and dictated behaviors to businesses and postponed events and gatherings. Connor Boyack is one of those people that I like to uh, turn to for a principled take on what's happening here. Some people may disagree with him, but I'm telling you, for for a rational, well thought out and well read take. He's pretty tough to beat. And Connor says his take is that Utah's new mask mandate is not lawful. Now here's how he explains it. He says, whether you think the governor's measures that he's ordered, like the statewide mask mandate or dictating behaviors to businesses or postponing sporting events, et cetera, whether you think those things will be helpful or not, ends don't justify means. The governor's order falls under the Emergency Management Act. That's a state law that empowers the executive with certain authorities during times of emergency. Now, his new emergency order cites this statute as the basis for giving the order. But the citation used points out why it's a problem. And Connor explains. The order points out that Utah Code 53-2A-204, subsection 1B, authorizes the governor to employ measures and give direction to state and local officers and agencies. Do you hear what that says? Give direction, employ measures and give direction, giving direction to state or local government employees is one thing. Dictating required behavior to every individual and business owner is another thing entirely. And Connor says he explained this privately to the governor's attorney over the summer when the rumor was circulating that their office was considering a mask mandate. And he says the reply that he received stated they interpreted this law as, quote, granting broader authority than that one subsection. Except, he says, it's that very subsection this executive order is now relying upon. Now, the mask mandates in schools over the past few months have been different because the governor punted the issue properly to the health department, which by state law has dictatorial powers over people during a, quote, public health crisis. Now, Connor says this law is extremely broad. It needs narrowing. But he says now we've got the executive order coming from the governor himself and relying upon a section of law that doesn't actually give him the authority he's claiming to wield. So while the governor would be within his authority to issue an executive order that instructs law enforcement officers, public health officials, etc. to engage in certain conduct pertaining to their job, he has no legal basis that Connor can see. To issue the order he did, which is purports to require individuals to wear masks and separate from those not of their household, et cetera, et cetera, He says, whatever your thoughts are on masks and COVID-19, this appears to be an abuse of power. And I think he's spot on. And look, I have strong feelings on masks. I'm going to be talking with uh, Eric Peters tomorrow. And uh, Eric just recently, in fact, I think it was just today, published a piece, a letter from an unmasked man. And he makes a very impassioned plea. Don't put on this token, this, this badge of submission and compliance. It's an outward signal to the rest of the world that you, too, have embraced the sickness psychosis. Not everybody feels that way. And as I've explained here on this program, I I am 99% sure that I spent the better part of the last week um, fighting COVID. I would know for sure had they actually tested me when I went to one of the uh, testing facilities, but instead I was turned away with maybe eight cars in line. They turned the last three of us away and said, well, we're at capacity. They couldn't even take the test. So it must be so serious that, uh, gee you know they could only do 5 cars in a line and and not to, not 8 cars and it's no it's no fun thing if in fact that's what i've been fighting but it certainly isn't worth taking people's autonomy away and dictating you know you cannot have thanksgiving and that's really what this amounts to for a lot of folks is if you can't have anybody from outside your household to your home i mean we're we're effectively becoming uh you know house arrestees. And that may make sense for some people, but where it doesn't make sense is for the governor who is not a lawmaker to issue some edict and, and act as if it should be treated as law. $10,000 fines for violations. Really? We're going to start locking people up. Are we going to find out if people are willing to start dying to assert their freedoms I know that sounds radical, but uh, hey, who's the one who's pushing this issue? Hint, it's not the people of the state of Utah. It's certain authoritarians in positions of power who may be exceeding what they're actually rightly allowed to do. Let's go to the phone caller. Welcome to the show.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm not down with this whole mask mandate and this COVID-19. I mean... It's the flu season again. People are gonna. How many people you think have went in and got tested and really just had the flu and it was labeled COVID-19?
1: That's a good question. Frankly, I'd like to know the answer myself because I'd, I'd really like to know if that's what I was dealing with. Most of my symptoms seem to tick off all the right boxes, but if the state doesn't take it seriously enough you know, to, to want to test me, well, you know, there's uh, five cars in line here and we just can't do three more. Um, then, gee, I wonder how seriously I should take it.
3: Well, hell, I thought I got exposed the other day, and I just went up there to go get tested. I had no symptoms. It was on the Thursday. The testing sites were closed on Thursday. So if it's that big of a pandemic, these, days, these things are closed, you know? So, yeah, it's... Uh, You know, I I think, you know, the other day I I came down with, you know, a little bit of a fever. I could feel it and run down. Lord knows, I wanted to go hunting that day. But I've only been working about seven days a week for the last three months. So I said, you know, i am kind of probably run down. So I just, you know, I laid around, watched TV. That's all I did all day long. And long behold, just drank a lot of apple cider. And the next day I felt fine wow but i mean but you know isn't that what we used to do now it's like this is becoming like such a drama and it's just people are just falling for it and the more people fall for it the bigger you know or the the bigger their their pandemic is going to be it's like the the liberties that you have as a person is just You can't even get sick anymore. You can't sneeze and and cough in front of anybody.
1: Yeah. I I don't like the way it's doing. The way it's ratcheting down right now does not bode well for whatever is ahead, say, between now and Inauguration Day. I have a feeling like—I thought things were going to get weird, but, dude, I didn't think they'd get so weird so quick.
3: I kind of knew they would because this is it. They're four years behind right now. They were hoping Hillary had gotten in. They got a lot of extraditing to do. Be fair. See you, buddy.
1: Okay. Thanks so much for the call. Again, if, if you feel like this is, this is unreasonable for people to push back against this, you've got to ask yourself, at what point does government stop operating beyond its legitimate limits and powers? And if the answer is, well, they got to do what they got to do, then really what you're admitting or at least what you're conceding is there is no reasonable limit or there's no no action that government could undertake that we couldn't justify in some way by simply pulling out the uh, emergency card. Well, look, it's an emergency. And so they have to do it this way. Some very dangerous precedents are being established right now. And unfortunately, it's putting you and I in the the bind of, okay. so how far are we willing to stick our necks out? Because, you know, there are unfortunately enough people out there who will click their heels. Yes, sir, I will enforce whatever you say, sir, without giving it a second thought. Now, there are also a lot who won't. But how how much do you want to gamble that the person you're dealing with, because you didn't have to didn't mask up quick enough? You know, is going to be one who understands that there are reasonable limits and legitimate limits on government power. That's a scary situation.
0: This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. you ready
1: to revel in some wrong think. I'm going to share with you some things that will absolutely drive the fact checkers and other algorithm sensors crazy over at Twitter and Facebook. And I'm going to feel good the whole time that I do it. So, you know, I got that going for me. Like, uh, like a lot of folks, I have, uh, I have watched with a lot of interest what's been going on for the last seven days. And uh, I, I never really have felt that emotionally attached to the outcome of, of this election. But I'll tell you, I feel a very personal sense of outrage at how easily it appears the system can be gamed. And if you're a Brian, come out and say what you're trying to say. Are you trying to say that there is some kind of voter fraud? I'm just saying that the possibility that there is voter fraud. Yes, I believe is extremely high. Now, I haven't seen. What I would even label convincing proof other than it's so curious how the people who, uh, you know, for for four years screamed about how well it was Russia interfering with our elections and our election was compromised. It's the only explanation for how Trump was ever able to be elected in the first place. And suddenly they are just as solid and steady as no, no, you can trust the system. It's it's good. It's good. And I suspect that has more to do with with their they're pushing for an outcome that uh, that they would find favorable. It's right there along with the, the calls for, well, can we can we have some national unity now? Uh, guys, last week you were threatening to burn the MFR down and, and now you're telling us. Uh, but can we just have unity or does that only work? You know, we want unity. We want you, in other words, to fall in line with us when we get our way. I think it would be extraordinarily naive not to have at least some degree of skepticism, healthy skepticism, that there might be some gaming afoot. And, and for what it's worth, the fact checker and me would like to remind everyone that uh, even though the media may have prematurely called its preference, the election has not yet been completed. The electors haven't cast their votes. The votes haven't been certified. You don't have to be a conspiracy geek to question whether the same folks who just spent the last four and a half years railing against Trump have suddenly become objective in their reporting. I got an article here. This is from Jay Valentine. Wait just a minute. Some very good news may be coming. Now, I'm not presenting this to you as if this is gospel truth. This is one possibility. And that's all I'm asking you to consider. Is it possible that this... Is, is something that uh, that is not being portrayed by that so objective press that's been giving Trump 96% negative coverage for the last four and a half years. Jay Valentine says, like many, I spent the last few nights waking up at 2.30 a.m. I'm sorry, 2.03 a.m. for no reason, then looking at my phone for news, any news that might be positive for President Trump. He says, I survived on rush Bongino, uh, Mark Levin. When the news continued to be ugly, I even checked in on ridiculous bloggers promising that the ballots were watermarked and DJ, our household name for a president we love was actually launching a sting on the deep state. But he says enough already. Stop the madness. He says, Hey, I have a degree in statistics and I have some level of critical thought. If there is such pessimism in my tribe, I'm not going along. So today he says, I started to dig into the numbers. And as I did, I fought my confirmation bias at every step. I realized that I, like millions of others, had been numbed into despondency by the overwhelming press, media, social media push to certify President-elect Biden. He says, I put that in there so you can see how repellent it is. He says, hey, guys, this thing is not only not over. It is scary for Biden. He says, I mean, really scary. And most of all, the media know it. The rush to get everyone in line with the narrative that a 78-year-old, early dementia, former VP, who could not draw a crowd larger than a dozen, just beat DJ in a fair election. Process that. Process that for a moment. He says, start with Pennsylvania. Biden, as of this writing, is at 290 electoral votes. Pennsylvania is 20. He says, I read the Justice Alito opinion, and it's pretty clear that he wants the after election night at 8 p.m. votes separated for a reason biden is going to lose at the supreme court and they know it four justices already said the pennsylvania supreme court cannot adjust the voting rules a new arrival justice barrett says she is there to apply the rules in the constitution okay want to bet she does remove the after 8 p.m ballots and biden loses pennsylvania biden 270 now let's visit nevada Jay Valentine says, I have lots of friends in California who have condos in Nevada to evade state taxes. There are not a couple of people doing this. There are tens of thousands. Everyone knows it. And California seeks them out. Our old pal Harry Reid knows it as well. And he apparently has them voting in droves in this election. Probably not a big DJ constituency. Within 72 hours of the election, the Trump team found validated over 3,500 of them. Now, he says, I do not suspect that Trump's people stopped counting. Every one of these is a ballot reduction for Biden. Nevada, as of now, is well within reach for DJ and the Trump team, particularly when the California crowd is reduced. And a few of them may testify since a false vote is a very bad thing with jail time if convicted. Maybe a bigger story here. Now, he says, remember where we are, people. Biden is at 270 after a highly probable Supreme Court decision. Read Alito and the concurring opinions. Lose Nevada, lose the election. But wait, it gets better. He says, now let's visit Wisconsin. Right now, it is 20,000 votes in Uncle Joe's direction. Lots of stories out there, well below the Google fold, that that there are way more Wisconsin votes than there are registered voters. Okay, maybe the dead can vote up there. Probably a Midwest thing. Well, he says, last night we found that Wisconsin election clerks were told and followed the direction to modify mail-in ballots and fill in the blanks where witnesses left out critical info. He says, I'm sure it was just good customer service and they meant no harm. The problem is every such ballot is now toast. There were thousands of such prima facie wrong, wrongful votes. Oops. Biden up 20,000. Now that number is in question. No more truckloads of votes coming in. So every ballot that DJ's team eliminates gets president-elect Biden one step closer to former VP Biden who lives in a basement. Not good here. North Carolina. That one pretty much looks like as though it looks like as though it's over and DJ won it. Fox News is rumored to call it for Trump around April 2021. Remember where we are here says Jay Valentine. Biden is probably going to lose Pennsylvania. So if he loses even one state, even one electoral college vote, ouch, either DJ wins outright or it goes to the house, which means that DJ has four more years and we're not done yet. Michigan. Oh yes. The land of the glitches in the voting machines, 6,000 votes for Trump given to Biden in one of 47 counties where that software is used about 150,000 votes. In Biden's favor right now. Google the one hundred thirty thousand Biden votes that showed up in the middle of the night, and you can see how the wonderful people at Google are fact-checking this quote debunked story. In fact, for fun, Google Michigan voter fraud, and you get literally three pages of this was fact-checked and proven to be false. Why would Google be so assiduous? They too see that if Amy votes with the uh, with the four. Biden is one vote away from the basement. Lawsuits in Michigan and the other states are being launched. Discovery will take place. Google will not be there. He says voter fraud is like larceny, kind of. A little is okay. It's even kind of entertaining. Dead people have been voting for 100 years in Democratic cities. It's such a constant that one would think that the Republican Party would consider a dead voter outreach program to get their fair share. But he says voter scale or voter fraud, rather, on this scale is just not sustainable. It does not pass the common sense test. We have bloggers with lots of time on their hands going through voter rolls and showing that person after person who voted in a swing state also fought in the Civil War or maybe the War of 1812. And it was funny at first, but the overwhelming number now goes beyond humor and rubs our faces in it. Jay Valentine says, I think DJ has to swing one state, actually one electoral vote. Not only is this thing not over, but the Biden team must be sweating bullets. Voter fraud at scale seemed like a really cool idea until DJ went to the mattresses. Now that he's fighting it out one voter at a time with the Supreme Court likely to create the starting point at Biden 270. Biden has everything to lose. So perk up. I'll have a link to this in the show notes. Again, I'm, I'm not telling you this is absolute gospel truth. I'm just telling you this is one aspect of how you could look at it that I know you're not getting through your, your carefully monitored, carefully, heavily censored and, and, you know, algorithm protected news sources and social media sources. Wouldn't that be interesting? I guess we're going to find out. You'll find it in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Listen, if you're going to take the time to uh, go to my show notes on my website, can I ask a small favor? While you're there at the bottom of the notes, you can leave a comment. Leave me some constructive comment, even if it's criticism. I really would value your feedback in a better effort to serve you through what I do behind this microphone every single day. Thank you.